0: and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show, the podcast that combines talk about the grateful dead with the latest cannabis industry news. I'm Larry Mishkin from the Hoban Law Group, uh, and I'm speaking today from finally sunny but very cold and under two feet of snow Chicago. As I tell everyone, it's the biggest waste of snow since we don't have any mountains. But I am joined today by my co-hosts and two of my uh, favorite deadheads, Jim Marty from Bridge Accounting and Rob Hunt from Lene Holdings. Gentlemen, welcome. Jim, can you give us a little bit about some of the cannabis news that we're going to be talking about on today's show?
1: Sure, Larry. Lots going on. Big public offering. Let you say the name so we get it exactly right.
0: Verano, an Illinois entity, did go public. That's correct. And, and we'll be touching on that. That's For those of us in Illinois, it's not surprising to see. But for the rest of the cannabis industry, I think it's a, a good thing. And we will hear from Rob on that. And in addition, Rob, welcome to the show. What do you got for us uh, lined up on the Grateful Dead side today?
2: Thanks, Larry. I think today, hard not to go into the show without talking about the legendary run at the Porchester Capitol Theater in late February of 1971. For all of you out there that are familiar with it, it was a six-night run in Porchester, New York, in a small Victorian theater that saw the introduction of six new Grateful Dead songs, including Bertha, Greatest Story Ever Told, Warfrat, Loser, Birdsong, and Playing in the Band, I believe. Pretty amazing run that, when we look back on it, was pivotal in the, uh, the Grateful Dead's history. As well as being a period where, right after a bad period with Lenny Hart as the accountant for the Grateful Dead, saw the departure of Mickey Hart from the band for a period of time that happened after the first night of the Capitol Theater shows. So, lots to talk about. Obviously, "Birdsong," you know, being in homage to uh, to Janis Joplin's life. Lots of things that came out of that run, and lots to discuss about that venue. So. With that, we're also really excited to have with us today as a guest, Jeremy Bergstein. Uh, Jeremy and I both grew up in the same part of New York, right on either sides of the Porchester Capitol Theater. And for both of us as, as high school kids, it was really our hometown venue. And so I thought in honor of the the discussion today, I would have someone else that can you know, really relate to what happened inside that room and why the place is so magical, not only back in 1971, but everything that's happened inside the Porchester Capitol Theater since with bands like... Fish and Max Creek and every reggae artist you can think of. And as kids, when we thought about going to shows you know, before we were really old enough to go into New York to go see MSG shows at, at the, you know, Madison Square Garden or go to Irving Plaza or some of the other really big venues, for us, the hometown theater was the Porchester Cap. And all I know is I've got some amazing memories of that room. So, Jeremy, welcome to uh, the show. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with the Porchester Capitol Theater.
3: Oh, man. Thanks, Rob. And Thanks, guys, for having me on. Yeah, Jeremy Bergstein, I'm owner of The Science Project, a marketing firm in New York City. I've worked with everyone from Nike to Estee Lauder and a lot of fashion brands back in the day. I built some of the first holiday windows back in the day. Been involved in marketing and been in the area for a long time, but um, not before the Grateful Dead took me all over the country and on tour and joined me up with friends and community and people in every far reach of, of the U.S. and ultimately the world. It all started for us in this little nook above New York City where we ran around the woods and then ran over to the Capitol Theater to basically this awesome little bubble that we saw insane, like ripping music at just all the time, and it's it's always hard to walk into those crazy rooms and think about the fact that your favorite band band in the world like was in there at one point. But obviously saw tons of Fish there, t- saw tons of Max Creek there, saw Eka Mouse there. I was telling Rob about a hilarious story where I happened into a Johnny Winter concert by mistake there when I was younger. But yeah, <laughs> one of the all time. Great rooms and that 71 run is just when you like just legend on so many different levels like Rob was saying So it's great to be on here and talk about talk about it with you guys
2: So one of the things I remember from the Capitol Theater Jeremy is when I first went there I couldn't even drive a car yet. So one of us had to have you know, our mothers come pick us up after the show I always remember being so terrified by you know, how high we were walking out of that place And if my mom was one that was picking us up, she'd always pull up right in front of the venue. And we'd walk out where you didn't have that breather of walking to the parking lot and going, okay, get your head together. I'd literally (laughs) walk out the front door and there'd be mom sitting there in the car parked and I'd be tripping so hard or just high out of my gourd with four of my friends, like, all right, guys, pull it together. We got to get in the car now. <laughs> like, yeah. after just seeing some ridiculous show. So, I remember, like, my first experience at the Cap was seeing Max Creek, which for anyone that grew up in the Northeast was a rite of passage. You know, you saw them all the time. And if it wasn't at the Cap, you were seeing Wednesday nights in Providence, Rhode Island, at the living room. And, but the Cap was one of those places where you're like, okay, it's so close to home that your parents are definitely there. You're not taking a train back. You're not, <laughs> you know, just front and center. So I don't know if you have any experiences like that as well. For me, it was walking out of Max Creek. shows, just terrified by who was going to be parked in front of the venue.
3: I was going to tell a hilarious story that it's such a random story, but we were one day, me and a bunch of friends had all spoken with all of our other friends. We were going to go and see Ecomouse at uh, at the Cap. And it was like, you'd go and call people from everywhere around. Obviously, everyone was on landline, So it was a loose plan at best. And... We, that day, it was like a hot summer day, like thunderstorms building all day. And we were all super high, like running around a a reservoir up by us. And I was a good amount north that was like more, certainly more, more of the woods. And we were swimming in reservoirs and pretty much had no, had no business going anywhere after this. And we decided to try to head to the cap had somebody drive us to the cap and there were thunderstorms building the entire time and it was cosmic on our way down there like thunder lightning crackling overhead the summer storm like building and we somehow got out of this car got there went into this show they took our tickets we were so psyched to see Eka mouse looked around this amazing lobby when you walk in and there's staircases that come down and people right when you walk in. And I looked around, I was like, man, something just doesn't look right. And I looked at my friends and it was a whole bunch of motorcyclers over there, leather everywhere, and obviously not the Ecomouse crew, none of our friends there. And I remember turning to a guy who saw the confused look on my face. I was like, what show is this? And he was like, this is Johnny Winter, man. (laughs) And so we had gone and come out and (laughs) and somehow ended up in the Johnny Winter concert. And he saw how confused we were and he convinced us to stay. And we ended up seeing just some of the most amazing music. It was, I had never even heard of Johnny Winter. He came out, albino, long white hair. It was all these (laughs) motorcyclists. And it was not the scene I expected, but it was, we were probably 15, 16 years old. So it was uh, our living room, to say the least, and it greeted us the same. Yeah, <laughs> it was a
0: good one. I was afraid you were going to tell me that you guys left. That's good that you stayed and got to hear him. He, he was a legend. That's, that's exciting stuff, Rob. This is, it, it's great out there. And, and one of the things you touch on, which shouldn't escape notice in all of this, because you're right, is that even by the, when you guys were seeing them, which I'm going to assume was what, uh, I don't want to guess at how old you are exactly, but sometime in the nineties, maybe the dead had long stopped playing there, obviously, and not that we're going to get into it today, but eventually I've got a list of famous old theaters where I've seen shows where the dead played but obviously I never got to see the dead there and it's whoever else I'm going in to see I spent half the show wondering what it would have been like to be there listening to the dead instead of who I'm listening to but luckily for us as far as these shows yeah. go we don't have to wonder very much because two of them have been preserved for posterity uh, a few years ago they released three from the vault which was the second night the 19th but then just this past summer, when they released the American Beauty 50th anniversary, they also slapped on there the 18th, the, the first night. So we've got the first two nights preserved as only uh, the Grateful Dead and the uh, Dan okay. Healy or whoever was doing the sound at the time, Betty Cantor, could preserve it. And quite frankly, to hear them and to read about them, it really makes you... There's lots of great Dead shows out there. And there's a big anniversary coming up at the end of this month that we'll have to decide if we're going to talk about, which is the four shows at the Fillmore West. When they basically each night played out their uh dark star saint stephen 11 good uh good Lovin' suite or love light suite and those were famous but these shows are different because those shows were very trippy kind of you had to be in the right frame of mind these shows were just high power energy that combined some of that but i look at them as the coming out party for the new grateful dead they they came out and they said here we are the other stuff we did is always going to be a part of us we've got this whole new Book full of material, and we're just going to lay it all out on you here. And unlike just American Beauty and some of that, some of these songs that they released are songs that never made it onto albums, never made it onto Grateful Dead albums. And to me, that's pretty amazing too—the number of songs in their repertoire that we all take for granted that never came out on vinyl. And so when they say they broke out Bertha, people might Bertha. What the hell? Where's Bertha? Where? How do I find this song? And yet, they played it the next night and the night after that. And kept playing it so that when a young Larry Michigan saw his first Dead show in 1982 at in California, yeah, they came out the first night and opened with Bertha. And so somehow it all just felt like that should always be the first song that they play. And I don't know about you, but what I like about listening to these songs is the audience is cheering. The audience doesn't take long to really get into them. They, they figure out right away, these are great tunes.
1: And Rob, you um, were listing off some of
2: the first time ever played. Yeah, the, the first night saw... Uh... I believe the first Bertha, the first Greatest Story, the first Loser, the first playing the band, the first Warfrat. and then the next night saw the first Bird song and the first Deal.
3: It's the first Warfrat. And it was right. sandwiched
2: in a Dark Star. It was a Dark Star, Worf Rat, Dark Star.
3: And with a beautiful jam thrown in. The beautiful oh. jam. Yeah. And they cheer on Warfrat like they've never even, they've never even heard this song. And it goes in there and everyone is just, it's from another planet. That thing's led me down so much like, Garcia archaeology of where these like weird guitar riffs come from and yeah they've never they never heard that and just the audience is just cruising right along and so into it awesome later David Gans was interviewing Phil Lesh. I saw this recorded once
0: and they were talking about it and Gans played for him the beautiful jam and Phil teared up And said, that was us at our peak. That was us creating magic that everybody bought into forever. And there we were. And to go back and and to hear it again as an older person is very intense stuff. Yeah, that was amazing. That's a great jam. That alone is worth listening to.
3: That, I can't even
0: imagine what they were
3: thinking back
2: then. What what I find so amazing about this is that all seven songs?
0: I I don't think they were. I think they were just playing, right? They they came out. Like it wasn't even psychedelic. It was rock and roll.
2: And the crazy part about it is all seven songs that they released never left their repertoire. Right. Those aren't ones that they shelved for a period of time and then brought back. Those are seven songs that stayed as part of the staples literally for the next um, you know 24 years, which is really rare, especially when you're going to release all of them at the same time. And there's lots of other times in their history where they've released three or four songs in the beginning of the year. And by the end of the year, they've already put two of them away. So to have seven that just have stayed all the way through and became crowd favorites all the way through the rest of their career is really what made this run so special.
0: Yeah. What's even more amazing to me about it is that some of these songs were so raw that, for instance, I point to Greatest Story and Playin'. To me, those songs came of age on the Europe 72 tour. I I happen to have the box set because I'm stupid like that and I spend my money on strange things, but... I've listened to all of those shows and you would listen to greatest story from the very first night of the tour to the very last night. And all of a sudden it's really developed into the greatest story that we knew today. And the same thing with playing in the band, just completely evolved. And yet almost a year before that, tour here they are trotting them out for the first time Uh, the greatest story is they don't even quite have the lyrics exactly right yet and they're just jamming on a very basic tune that still has to be filled out but for any of us who heard a ripping greatest story in the mid-1980s it's nice to know where it came from
1: and those seven songs end up being scattered around different albums and solo work of garcia's loser i think is on jerry Garcia solo has his uh bird song
0: what a great
3: song And greatest story is on Ace,
1: as is playing in the band. I believe, but you really feel
3: the stripped down. It's so stripped down too, without Mickey, like Bert, like they're all so beautiful. But it's like Garcia's on Alligator, and it's really jangly guitar. There's no. Yeah, it's real it re- feels very spare and just a be- mostly a beautiful results. But play in particular feels very stripped down. And then there's some bird songs that are like, and I love them just the way they are. But they're definitely like not as full-throated and filled out as they were in later, later years.
0: Look, for me, my experience with that, and I guess it just speaks to the age that I came of age with The Dead, was Touch of Grey. I heard Touch of Grey for the first time on tour in 1982, but it didn't come out on an album until 1987. I remember the first time I heard them playing the studio cut on the radio, and I was just dumbfounded. It was it was like a completely different song almost. To just watch that song unfold over the years into becoming ultimately standard, you, you really get the sense of how they would do that and really develop these songs on stage. But I, I agree with you, Jeremy. I love the early stripped down versions of them because this is like the this is the basis of the entire
3: song. This is the germ of the whole thing. Yeah, we would be remiss not to to mention smokestack lightning from the next night is just ripping like on the 19th is so good. And pig pen is just, it's so full throated and so full bore and he's howling and it's, it's definitely my favorite smokestack lightning. Definitely one of my favorite tunes from the run too. I I think that's
0: true. And I think that one of the things about this run it, it this may also be pig pen's finest moment right pig pen was an, an, an essential part of the psychedelic scene but he was like a square peg in a round hole he may do because he could make do and he knew how to raptor and love light and all that other stuff but these are pig pen kind of songs these are these are the kind of songs that he could really get into and he could really do his thing on and i agree with you smokestack lightning listen you know i went back and listened to three from the vault the other night to get ready for this and i forgot that it was on there and they get to that and it, it just rips like yeah, I, I was lucky to hear the dead play it a few times, but not like this.
1: So, uh, Jeremy, I want to shift the conversation over to what you're doing now in marketing in the cannabis industry.
3: Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Although I, I can literally talk about this music all the time, like for so long. Like it's such a, such a joy. I've been in marketing for a while. I've been more in like exper- experiential marketing, creating experiences for people, and a lot of that really comes from my background in creating experiences and some of those some of those seeds were laid in some of the stuff that we're talking about right now and just the deep journeys of the the mind the body the soul and and then our sort of formative years as we grew up with this type of stuff and then all scattered across the far reaches of the united states and the world to go and get on the road just just like we all wanted to do And I ended up back in New York as a New York City public high school teacher. I was a science teacher, literally in like tough New York City public school, still like maybe the coolest job that I ever had. All of it led to great experiences for me and entered into advertising from a digital perspective, was always very involved in kind of digital innovation. I was some of the things that I've done that I was. Most honored to do is work on New York City holiday windows. Like I did the first digital windows at Barney's at Bloomingdale's at Saks Fifth Avenue, like really Mm -hmm. grand, experiential, big sort of cultural moments that would get tens of millions of people to look at them and get excited, whether you were lived in New York City or you were there from uh, another country, another continent, another state. or just nearby. And I've always, it's been tough for us in New York. I have to be honest with you, you felt like a little bit on the outside of cannabis, you're like, there's this whole revolution going on in Colorado, Washington, Oregon, you know, California, and all these other great states and, and the East Coast, and largely a lot of New England, although it started to trickle into Maine and Massachusetts recently, it's been a little bit on the outside. And every time you'd go out West and you'd see just the evolution and the sort of maturation of what all of you guys and everybody is really doing with it. It's just so awesome. For me, I've started to just think about what I could add to what I could add to the kind of building it and doing something great with it. And for me, it's creating great experiences and doing something special on a grand level and always seeing the opportunity with not everybody smokes weed anymore but it everybody usually has a experience that's powered some sort of like amazing experience that they have had either with music or friends or the outdoors or some sort of creative venture where it's been a a spark for them and that's been a, a durable thing that's it's always been going on from the 40s 50s who knows how long before that, but it's powered everything from jazz to rock and roll, writers, dancers, musicians, all different kinds of creative forces of, it's been a, a friend and an ally. And so I'm bringing something that'll be really quite special in the experiential realm that I think will really, you know, get a lot of different people excited. It's not just for the strain geeks. It's not just for the like insider growers, although I have a lot of respect and I was I was there many years ago as well but this is for this is for the masses. I prefer not to think of it as it's not for everybody, but it will be inspired by cannabis inspired where the colors are brighter and the notes are sweeter. You guys will have to wait to see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and where do you see the industry going in terms of national brands and brand loyalty? Right now it's very diverse. There's no interstate traffic. Everything all the states are silos so that have their own best of and favorites in each state. But nothing national what do you see the the future in, in marketing with the cannabis
3: oh man that's such a it's such a interesting question i've looked so much like i love great experiences right how people experience a brand and an ex- experience and that is not just what gets what you feel especially with something like this where you really are having an experience with that's really fairly intimate because of this single state operation brands are being built in these kind of silos if you will and it also means that kind of their infrastructure and the retail infrastructure is being contained in in these small little nooks so it's interesting to see how how they're tackling how they're tackling becoming larger multi-state brands and because retail and advertising and marketing is limited right now, it's it's like growing a tree and the tree is always being trained in certain directions. These brands are growing in very limited directions because they're only be, get, being given sunlight <laughs> in certain places. It's really very interesting to see, but I I do see obviously like national interest and there is such a desire out there, but the brands are really at their infancy right now. There's very few brands that I see as like real mature brands. We've obviously, the brands that I've worked with, especially like a Nike that was just such a great brand to work with was so mindful of every facet of their brand it wasn't a name it was how it was talked about each image each emotion each feeling each behavior was really looked at to really mature these brands really starting to think about all the different facets of the direct-to-consumer brand is there's still so much open space out there and this is just such an emotional area like it's a beautiful plant and what it's brought to the world and what it's brought to all of us so there's so much like ripe territory to build great brands out there and you can see them growing i just hope that they're given more sunlight in terms of advertising in terms of retail so they're not as limited
1: yes i often wonder what the industry will look like in 2030 which is only 9 9 years away and you know here what's interesting about the product and the plant is it's new it's in its infancy but it's been around for thousands of years at the same time so it's a very interesting place that we're in here in the cannabis industry right now as uh, i think we'll see movements to legalize it nationally or decriminalize it nationally so upcoming episodes of the deadhead cannabis show will not be boring
0: i'm sure not jeremy i, I what what really uh sticks out for me is that I've long argued that ultimately the success of cannabis as an industry is going to fall on the shoulders of guys like you. And it's all a matter ultimately of what I call normalizing. And although we have legal cannabis in a lot of places, it's still really not normalized anywhere yet. Maybe in Colorado it is, maybe in Northern California it is, but in most other places and I can certainly say here in Illinois, it's far from normalized. And that creates real problems for people. And if we're gonna have a product that's gonna come on the market and we're gonna tell people it's legal and it's okay to use this, we, have, we as a society have to move past this idea of still judging people and shaming people for choosing to use a product that has, for most people, they still think of it in terms of reefer madness. And even though maybe they laugh it off, they don't laugh all of it off and they still have that floating out there. It's guys like you that, that, that change the the public perception of a product. And I I think it's great that a guy who has the background you have both in the industry and the frame of reference from the Grateful Dead and things like that. That's a great start.
3: It's education, Larry. That's, I always count my like years being a teacher and the guide as being like my most formative of them. What you always hit your head against the wall and you're like, why don't people see you? And I remember the first time I walked into a dispensary in Colorado and it was a moment. And I was like, I remember going back and having that minute in my head and being like, I told you so. Like this is this has only added great things to everybody's lives. So I hope I get I hope I can bring my brand of warmth and experiential and education to whatever I do in the arena
1: There was an article that came out in the last week or so by Eric Spitz was the fellow's name and he said something in that article that I've known instinctively for a long time and occasionally have voiced it but he finally came out and said people love marijuana they like alcohol, they like nicotine and they also like marijuana and he that's talk about marketing, to be able to come out and say, hey, this is not a drug or a reefer man This is a product that people love and enjoy.
0: Jeremy, you also said something there that really resonated with me too. And for Jim, it's probably old hat. The first time I went to Colorado and walked into a dispensary. And for guys who have grown up smoking weed, <laughs> but always looking around and making sure nobody's paying attention and lining up your sources where you can get it from, I can park here and just walk right in. And here's everything I can buy. And as long as I got cash, I'm good to go.
3: Yeah. You know,
0: and and you, it, it was really a pinch me moment. I took a lot of pictures. And I, I'll no matter how many times I go into a dispensary, I will never forget the feeling of walking in that first time. And it was like, like you say, I was right. Here it is. It works. I, I knew this could work. Why did everybody doubt it for so long? And it, it's pretty amazing. It's a great experience.
3: Yeah, that stuff is still having worked in brands and retail for so long. Like It's everybody that works at those stores all these bud tent like they love it they love it and they love talking about it you can't buy it's so impossible to get those people like nike might get those people but you're not getting those people at the i won't (laughs) there it's everybody loves it and you can feel it and it's a beautiful thing like it really really is so it's it's exciting to see i agree it, it's a great feeling
2: hey so jeremy before we jump back in talk a bit more about the industry now that you're back in new york and back in westchester you going by the cap anymore these days have you seen any of the shows since pete shapiro took over the venue and have you done anything at the side venue garcia's
3: yeah i've seen a ton i go i just moved out before all this Lockdown hit. I was living in Brooklyn for for a long time. But I was I was at the bowl and then at the Cap. And then I was and then when I had moved up to up to Westchester, obviously was super excited to be able to go to the Cap. So I've seen a, a ton of stuff there, ranging from J Rad to Trey to all different kinds of all different kinds of shows over there. And it's just as it's just as special as always. It's a it's like a little bubble in there. You walk in and the floor's got the perfect tilt. The bars are in the perfect place. The lobby is like, got this great sort of, you're right in it when you walk in there. And Garcia's is, you walk in, it's right to your right, like a beer's in your hand, there's music playing. and It's all, it's pretty wild too, just having have that be your clubhouse when you were younger and then be seeing what Shapiro is really done with it is, holy crap, what he's just done for all of us. as I feel lucky. When Tom Brady won the Super Bowl the other day, I was like, it's never been cooler to be like an older guy, but to be able to walk into the cap and have Shapiro bring back like this for all of us older guys and bring it back to these younger generations, I'm like man, like golden age for sure for all of us, all around the US with, and he was really the, I do feel like he was really the impetus, like the spark for bringing this scene back and understanding what everyone wanted. Not him solo, but just at least to bring the cap back and obviously got Bobby on stage, got Trey on stage, got, that Just that,
0: the 50th anniversary shows, all that stuff that he did, he's really, he stepped in and almost Bill
3: Graham-esque
0: in the way he's promoted the band and taken over control of the venues and all of that. And seems to be, at least to me, that he's got the right thing going. If nothing else, the cap was at the forefront of the... COVID violation because wasn't Phil's planned 80th birthday show one of the first events that was canceled when they were going through it all and they said, nah, we, we yeah. can't bring him out on stage with all this going on. So yeah, yeah, they're as relevant
3: as ever and that's great to see.
2: Yeah, I'm glad the uh, the flame is still kept alive there.
3: Yeah, like it's wild. I brought my kids there a little while ago and brought them to the firehouse and the firehouse got steelier, the fire trucks all have steelier faces on them. There's, that's great. All the firemen have got steelier faces. Like the entire town it's wild. This is like a, I love Porchester. It's called Pocho, but it's a little bit of a dirty, like awesome, gritty New York kind of town, but it fully embraces. There's steal your faces in the window of the local Peruvian eatery. Like there, it's all in and it embraces us all as a community, like all those other just great little epicenters around the country and probably around the world that have been, have had the good graces of the, these guys blow into town and leave whatever magic they do.
0: So easily distinguishable from uh, Passaic, New Jersey and its Capitol Theater, huh?
3: <laughs> I think so. Although <laughs> Garcia Band played some ripping shows there.
0: They did. And, and I will confess, it took me a while as a young deadhead to figure out which was which. I just heard the Capitol Theater, and, but no, that's true. And, and that's just great. In St. Louis, we have the Fox Theater, which is still around, and in the late 60s, early 70s, that was a, a favorite place for the dead to come and play, long extended runs. And I've been in there, in fact, I saw Fish in there a few years ago, which was nice because I was supposed to see the dead in 86. Jerry stroked out, the shows were canceled, and uh, we all went home. But, and even here in Chicago, we have the Chicago Theater, the Auditorium Theater, which are just beautiful, wonderful places to see shows. And now we saw Widespread do a bunch of shows at the Auditorium Theater and Warren loves to come in and play at the Chicago Theater and you see these guys and it's great fun and it's great music and it does. It's just You just sit there and wonder, boy, what would it have been like to see the boys in their peak coming into one of these small little theaters and just blowing the doors off the place.
2: Yeah, and I think we forget that the Porchester Capitol Capital Theater has also opened those runs with the New Riders so it wasn't just The Dead. It was Six Night of the New Riders the Purple Sage and they did the ESP experiments during that run as well.
0: What was his name? Kinzer or Kripner, right? He wanted the guy in England to be able to pick up on yeah. the, the, the brainwaves of the people or something like that.
2: I think they did it on the third night. And they held up different signs and said, hey, everyone concentrate really hard. And we'll see if we can't get this guy who's another English guy who was sitting in Brooklyn at the time to feel what it is that we're sending him. So... Apparently, the experiment failed because everyone was too high to start with. It mixed the brainwaves. It wasn't a successful experiment. But I know that when I was seeing the Cap as a teenager, Jeremy probably remembers this. They used to do all sorts of different light shows inside the place, too, and put up like really weird fractals with like bubbles and oils and stuff. Yeah. So it would be cast all over the, the theater curtains and all over the, the roof of that place. And it was a perfect rounded roof with a huge fresco yeah. on the top of it. So if you were in there on the right night, you know, things got really strange really fast with some of the light shows they were doing with just experimental stuff.
1: This has been a great conversation, and Jeremy, thanks so much. I think we're coming to the end of our time slot. In fact, we might have even gone a little long to this show, but... um,
0: Well worth it.
2: What do we have coming up in the future? What are our next couple weeks look like? Oh, wow, great question. Next week, we're hopefully being joined by Vince Wellnick's last manager. After The Grateful Dead broke up in 1995, Vince went out and started playing solo, and Greg Corner, who's another Westchester guy, was his manager. So I think uh, we're going to discuss... The music of the Grateful Dead during the Vince era and the influence that Vince had on the band, I think, is what we're doing for next week with a person that's you know absolutely in the position to to tell us the stories about it and his experience of working directly with Vince. And then I think the week after that, we're looking at Mardi Gras doing a, a show about all the different things that have happened for Mardi Gras and for Chinese New Year's. And I think we're going to talk about some of the best ones like 3387, 3, When the Dirty Dozen sat in and played Ico with the band. So we've got some fun shows coming up the next few weeks.
0: I I will have to still do a quick uh, shout-out next week to the Fillmore West shows since we will be uh, popping up on that anniversary as well, which will be fun. And Jim, good news, my friend, and maybe you can confirm this for me, I have heard that J-Rad is planning shows at Red Rocks on June 4th of this year.
1: And I have heard that Fish might be playing Dicks again in September.
0: I think they announced it. Did they? Yeah. That would be great. I won't be able to go because my son's getting married on Labor Day weekend, just like he was supposed to be getting married last year.
1: Jeremy, you've got to come out for those shows. I hope you can come out for the fish shows.
0: Oh, man, I love Red Rocks. But can I propose a a Deadhead Cannabis live experience show for J-Rad on June 4th?
2: Sure,
1: you bet.
0: Rob?
2: I'm totally for it.
1: We can do it from the parking lot at Red Rocks. Even
0: better. Love it.
2: And before we sign off today, we should probably at least give a shout out to the boys over at Verano and say congratulations on a very successful IPO today. It's always great for the industry when you see a company that has been plugging away at it for the last eight or nine years make a public offering. And by all accounts, their their release today was really successful. So best of luck to that team and get another Illinois company uh, making good in the industry and really making it happen. And Rob, not to put you on the spot, but do you know what the market cap was today? I do not know what the market cap ended up at. It wasn't it wasn't published because it was such a new issue, so we probably won't know until tomorrow. I can pull it up right now and see if I can see it. Yeah, it's still listed as a, as not available, but it closed up closed up about four or five dollars above the uh, the opening price today. That means there's definitely demand. It means that's just another public cannabis company that is being well recognized by the market, and I expected to see it trade a fourteen to twenty times earnings or fourteen to twenty times rev almost out of the gate.
0: And I'll tell you this. Verano is a uh, they're very popular in Illinois. They're probably the most popular cultivator here. They've come up with some very good strains. They do a good job. I know Sam dorf He's a great guy. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. He's been involved in the industry for a long time with a lot of people and very excited to see Verano take off and see where it's going.
1: Yes. And to close it out, I am actually sitting in a publicly traded company in Denver, Colorado, General Cannabis, one of our clients that I'm uh, visiting today. And they were kind enough to let me use this office for the Deadhead Cannabis Show.
0: Okay. And one other thing that I'd like to throw out here, and it occurred to me for one reason, but while I was thinking about it, it came to me for another reason. And maybe each week towards the end of the show, we can wrap things up with a a quote of the week. Jerry was a walking quote book. Bobby was a walking quote book. My favorite Bobby quote of all time was when somebody asked him to prove he's a deadhead without saying anything about the Grateful Dead. And his response was, I've been to every show. You get that kind of response from those guys, and they're fun. That was
2: last week on Twitter.
0: However, today, I just do want to take very quick note that earlier today, we received news that Rush Limbaugh passed away. I was never a big Rush Limbaugh fan, but nobody celebrates at the death of anyone. And so, obviously, condolences to his family and all of of that. However, in the midst of all of the Rush Limbaugh honorariums that were going around and all the wonderful memories of him, and I will confess, I typically did not agree with his point of view. One of his old quotes came out to light, which I thought was very revealing and, and really speaks to, unfortunately, the type of person I thought Rush was. In 1995, when Jerry Garcia died, Rush's quote at the time was, Jerry was just another dead dope dealer A dirt bag, so with that in mind, I think it's time to (laughs) to move on and hope that the people of this world are a little bit kinder to Rush in their memories of him than he was to a guy who inspired millions and millions of people in a way that Rush could only dream of being able to do. Oh, yeah, you're here. Having said that, great show, guys. Jeremy, thank you so much, man. This was a great conversation, my pleasure, guys. And you, you always know it's a good show, a when we run a little bit long, and b. Uh, when at the end of the show, I still feel like I have 20 minutes of stuff about the Cap Theater. I could be, I could be sitting here talking to you guys about the conversation could just go
3: on forever. And that's how you know, you know, what it's good. Dead talk. It's great spot. I cannot wait for live music to start happening again. Yes, sir.
1: So to all of our fans out there and people who enjoy this show, we've given you plenty of ideas to go out and listen to and find online and listen to these shows that we've been talking about and enjoy them all very much
0: thank you guys again our guest today was jeremy bergstein jeremy thank you so much thank you to my co-host jim marty rob quick shout out to you and uh, we will look forward to diving into all of these great dead things you've got planned for us next week thank you for uh, getting jeremy on the show and uh, giving us a little taste of home cooking there that's always nice to be able to hear and uh, to all of our (laughs) listeners thank you for listening as always we'll look forward to having you around next week and enjoy your cannabis responsibly thank you
2: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
3: Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humiston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.